Please be seated. Good evening to you. The book of Obadiah this evening in the Old Testament, Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you hit uh, Jonah, you've gone too far. And uh, take a left and come back to Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. So this is the introduction uh, to the book. Obadiah's name means a servant of Jehovah. And we don't know anything else about Obadiah except his name, that he's a servant of Jehovah, and we know his message. And uh, any minister that I know of, of God's Word, any messenger of God, is very, very happy to be known just for that. If you know the person to be a servant of the Lord and you remember the message that they deliver, they'll be perfectly content. I remember because the message is everything. The servant is nothing really. Something in God's eyes, but nothing in the grand scheme of things. I remember a few years ago there was a fad, I was just thinking about it today a little bit, fad in the body of Christ, maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, where there was just this thing, this, uh, some churches felt the need to, um, on their website, where the pastors would be listed, and then there would be a picture of the pastor, and then, and then these questions that they would be asked, what was their favorite season of the year, their favorite color? Um, what was their favorite brand of uh, blue jeans? And, uh, and I thought to myself, I don't need to know that much um, about, uh, about you related to that. All of that's unnecessary. And uh, just the other night I was watching a, the end of a, a Bible teaching show and uh, the Bible teacher that's featured on it, the whole close of the show shows him riding down the road on a Harley. And uh, not Jesus riding down the road on a Harley. And it's just, Chuck, Pastor Chuck Smith warned us as pastors, and I want to repeat these things that have impacted my life, uh, you know, while I have the opportunity to do that. But he said there's a great trap that we can fall into in ministry, and Obadiah doesn't fall into it, and that is to think that we have to become the attraction and we draw people to ourselves and then we point them to God. And it's a great mistake because too often we forget to point them to God or we become uh, too big of a blip on the radar for them to realize that this is really all about Him. And I love the simplicity of this introduction related to Obadiah. Obadiah prophesies to a group of people known as the Edomites. But you'll notice in that next sentence it says, Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. He prophesies about Edom, but he doesn't prophesy it to Edom primarily. This prophecy is directed towards God's people who were abused and victimized uh, by Edom at a moment of vulnerability in their uh, history. And, uh, and so this prophecy to Israel about the Edomites. The background to this particular um, prophecy of Obadiah 
important to know a little bit about the Edomites in relationship to uh, the children of Israel. Abraham, the first great patriarch of Israel, uh, had a son by the name of Isaac, who married a woman by the name of Rebekah, and she became pregnant with twins. It was evidently a very difficult pregnancy because the two boys uh, fought uh, in her womb to such a degree that she sought the Lord about what gives with these two uh, babies in my womb. And, and the Lord responded to her and let her know that there were two in her womb, uh, which she knew, and uh, each of them would become a nation, leaders of a nation uh, within, within the world. And so the twins were born. The oldest was uh, a boy by the name of Esau, the firstborn, and then Jacob followed him, the youngest. And as prophesied, they did become uh, two nations. Esau became the father of uh, a group of people called the Edomites in the Bible. The Edomites settled into what is uh, the southern section of modern-day uh, Jordan, uh, near Israel, but on the other side of, of the Dead Sea, going all the way down uh, to uh, Elot and, and the Red Sea. Uh, Aqaba, for those of you who are Lawrence of Arabia fans, and uh, a very, very rugged area of the world even yet today. And uh, like the leader, the, the, the patriarch of, of the Elamites, a rough-and-tumble uh, guy. Judah, of course, became the father of the 12, uh, 12 sons who would ultimately become the leaders of the 12 tribes uh, of Israel and uh, a leader of the nation uh, of Israel. And, the, and although these two peoples were united by blood, uh, in, in, in very much, they were cousins to one another uh, by blood and, and historically uh, that fight that began in the womb between the two of them would carry on then through their descendants and through the nations that were born into human existence uh, through them and this book deals with uh, the nation of Edom uh, not with Esau as an individual, as kind of the patriarch. And Edom was a constant source of hostility toward the Jewish people. And, uh, and we'll see a, a one of their worst, worst chapters in their history related to that as we read this uh, tonight. The time of the prophecy, oh, that isn't given to us uh, specifically and because there's no kings who are mentioned, but the circumstances that are described here in the book really only fit one uh, chapter uh, in, in the history of the southern kingdom of Judah and the, the city of Jerusalem, and that was the conquest of the southern kingdom of Judah by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., when apparently Edom took advantage of uh, the weakness of, of, of Judah at that time, of Israel uh, at, at that time, uh, at uh, the hands of, of the Babylonians, and took that as an opportunity to seize land and do terrible, really, war crimes against the children of Israel. And so the theme of the book is really very simple. The future destruction or the future doom of Edom. Uh, you may uh, have noticed that in the course of your life, 
whenever you ask anyone, hey, that's an interesting name. Uh, what are you, uh, where does that come from? Or what nationality are you? You've never heard anybody say, I'm an Edomite. And the reason you don't hear anybody say that they're an Edomite is because in fulfillment of this prophecy, uh, following their destruction, ultimately by the Babylonian Empire, they cease to exist as a people, even as God prophesied would be the case. And so it, it speaks to the destruction of uh, Edom and the future restoration of Israel. And so God in verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord concerning Edom, uh, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle. So some messenger went forth to the nations of the world in that surrounding area around Edom, called those nations to come together to fight against Edom, probably an angelic uh, uh, messenger that, that uh, called those nations. And it kind of sets the tone now uh, for what happens here. The Lord is described here as He makes this decree uh, for the judgment to come upon Edom. He is called the Lord God, all of it, uh, uh, as He's described there. And it is uh, Adonai Yahweh, and it speaks of God's sovereignty, and it sets the tone for the entire book. God's uh, sovereignty over human history. And God's sovereignty over human history is very, very good news for God's people, but it's very, very bad news uh, for uh, His enemies. And so uh, Obadiah uh, delivers this uh, preparation kind of then to the prophecy that he uh, then tears into concerning Edom's destruction in verse 2. God speaking through him to Edom, and God declared, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be greatly despised. Edom, though a very small kingdom in the ancient world, was a, a prominent nation. It was a, a powerful and a significant nation at that time um, in its history. It was a, 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 a great uh, people and a great people at the time, but they were going to be brought down. And then God identifies the cause of her destruction, the cause of her humbling. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And that's an interesting thing. You, you notice it isn't the pride of your heart has deceived me. God's never deceived by our pride. Pride never deceives Him. Uh, the pride of your heart has deceived your neighbors. Our pride never deceives our neighbors. What the person that pride in our lives, the, the person that pride uh, deceives is only ourselves. Because as we've mentioned even recently, pride is one of the first things that pride does when it is in operation in our life is it removes our capacity to recognize it in our lives. And so we become too proud to know that we're proud until ultimately we stay in this condition for so long that we then become a danger to other people and God has to step in and He has to chasten us. And that's why everybody else around us will recognize our pride long before we recognize it in our own lives. And the only cure that I know to 
uh, dealing, uh, recognizing pride in our lives since it is something that once it gets a foothold we have a difficult time recognizing is the Word of God. Because the Word of God will always tell us the truth about ourselves in a way that we will not tell ourselves and other people will be hesitant to do so. And so the Word is the mirror of the Word and it, 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 is a, it is the safe place in the hands of the Holy Spirit to keep us, any of us, from be, being lifted up in pride. And the Bible says uh, that uh, 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 there's a, a downfall that occurs associated with the haughty spirit and pride precedes destruction. And that's exactly what it is that's going to happen uh, to uh, uh, Edom here. But pride will always, and, and pride is one of the great lessons of the book of Obadiah, pride in our lives, in the nation of Edom, it will always cause me to uh, overstep boundaries with other people. It will fill me with a self of self-importance. It will fill me with a sense of entitlement that is way beyond what I should feel. And then other people begin to be victimized by that and God has to step in and, and He needs to humble us. And uh, usually it becomes very, very public at that point if He can't speak to us by His Spirit uh, through His uh, Word. And as we're going to see, uh, they're uh, gloating over the fall of uh, Israel to the Babylonians, uh, their, the gleefulness with which they, they viewed all of that and then taking advantage of the situation, uh, it, it, it uh, placed them in, uh, as God was disciplining them, it placed them in, in a place where uh, they entered into a situation they should have never touched, but they did so uh, out, of, out of their uh, pride. And so having exposed her great sin, that is pride that would bring the judgment upon them, you notice that Obadiah then reveals the uh, causes or the sources of her pride, uh, her geographical location. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground, though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there God says, I will bring you down, says the Lord. So, if you've ever seen pictures online or in movies or whatever it might be um, of the rock city of Petra. This was a part of the kingdom of the Edomites and uh, their cities were in high places. Um, they had their fortresses in very high places. Uh, in fact, in the ancient world, in order to conquer the Edomites, it would have required an army going up a road that would just take uh, the military would only be able to travel over it in single file, so no matter how big your army was, you could never defeat the Edomites. Because a very, very small force uh, could wipe you out one at a time as you would come up that, uh, up that path. And so they had this uh, geographical location that they had that they were very, very proud of in terms of as a, as a place of, uh, of defense. And, uh, and, and God says, though you ascend as high as the eagle, and their cities were way, way up in 
uh, in the rocks. And God says, even though you're way up and you look down on your enemies, you look down on everybody else, he said, uh, and everybody else looks up to you, he said, there is someone who exists that uh, looks down on you. There's someone who is higher than you, higher than your cities. And it is the Lord Himself, as He declares to them here, no matter how high you are geographically, no matter how high your fortresses are, God is always higher and, there, and will never be a protection against uh, God's judgment. And then he, the second cause of her pride uh, was her wealth. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how uh, you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If great gathers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Uh, oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. So she accumulated tremendous wealth. But God, uh, Obadiah, spoke to her and says, all of your wealth will be looted. And, and the evidence that it will be me behind uh, that judgment and that looting is they will take everything. And he uses the imagery uh, here of a thief. When a thief breaks into a house, say here in Modesto, uh, they don't take everything. Uh, they take what they can carry and get out of the house, and, but they leave things. Uh, when they would glean, uh, when they would harvest the grapes in the ancient world, they would leave gleanings for the poor. They wouldn't take every single grape off of every single uh, vine. Something would be left. And God says, when you get stripped of your wealth, it will be so complete that you, that you will recognize that this wasn't just the normal kind of warfare and the normal kind of crime of the ancient world. You'll recognize that it was a judgment from me. Her third uh, uh, source of her, her pride was her diplomatic skills, her treaties with her surrounding uh, nations. All the men of your confederacy, all that you have treaties with for mutual defense, shall force you to the border. They're going to turn on you. Uh, the men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall be lay a trap for you. In other words, as they would get together and make treaties and make plans for the future of Edom, the other nations, the entire region, uh, uh, at one time eating together in that kind of a, uh, of a unity. But all of that would turn around and no one uh, is uh, uh, aware of it. And so her pride in her diplomacy, her pride in looking and saying, I've, uh, I'm so smart, I've got all of these contacts and relationships with everyone around me, and in terms of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, diplomacy, in terms of treaties and this kind of thing, foreign policy, that's the word I'm trying to uh, find here, in terms of foreign policy, we've got it dialed in. And, and we know how to, to do this kind of thing. And God said, uh, 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 your pride in that is going to fail. And then he moves on to uh, the fourth source of her pride, her wisdom. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of 
uh, Esau. And so her wise men wouldn't be able to uh, save her. She would be uh, destroyed. Uh, uh, all of them destroyed uh, with Edom. Edom was famous in the ancient world for its wisdom, for its wise men. People would travel great distances to come to Edom in order to receive wisdom and counsel from the wise men uh, of uh, uh, Edom. You might remember that Job's friend uh, Eliphaz, he was a Temanite, and, and that was a part of the kingdom of Edom. And so uh, her source of, of pride, her wisdom, that will fail her as well. And then her fifth source of her uh, her pride was her military. Then your mighty men, O uh, Taman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. In other words, your military is, is, is as formidable as you think that it is. It will be completely shattered. It will be completely uh, slaughtered. But these were the sources of her pride. Um, people and nations have been proud uh, for far less than this. Uh, these were considerable characteristics of a nation, favorable characteristics of, of a nation, as long as they don't turn into pride. As, they are wonderful characteristics of a nation, as long as we never come to depend on them and come to make them a source of pride in our lives. It's wonderful to possess all of these things as a nation and then be marked by humility while possessing uh, these things and the recognition that no matter what we have of these kind of things that we, God is always above us and we must always answer uh, to, uh, to Him. And so these were the causes, these were the sources uh, of their pride and then in verse 10, this is, this is so um, instructive because now uh, Obadiah heads into now uh, the crimes that Edom committed against the Jews out of her pride and, and uh, the marks of pride in, in, the, in a nation, the marks of pride in a human individual. And it's, and it's so excellent because it causes us to look at these things and see if they have any kind of a root in us uh, tonight individually in, in, in our relationship with God, how we view other people. And so uh, the, the evidences of, of uh, her pride, he now heads into it speaking first of, of violence. For violence against your brother... And here is Obadiah speaking for God, and he's, and he's speaking shame to the Edomites. Uh, Israel, for all of your conflict that you've had through the ages, uh, uh, Israel is blood. Israel is family. And it's one thing to do what you did to any other nation, it would be wrong. To do it to uh, a blood relative is, uh, is inexcusable. And so he reminds Edom of the blood relationship with Jacob, that is, the, the father of the twelve tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. Shame shall cover you, and, uh, and you shall be cut off forever. And so the first great mark of her pride uh, was a violence against Jacob. 
A violent person is a very, very proud person. We just tend to think, well, they've got a temper. Now, that's a sense of entitlement. Uh, we can look at violence and say, well, it's just a crime, and just look at it on that surface level. But it, it takes a considerable sense of self-importance and a considerable sense of uh, entitlement to think that I can act in violence against another human being. It's a, a mark of terrible, terrible, out-of-control pride that will get the judgment of God upon a person wherever uh, it, uh, it is present. And the Lord speaks to them about this violence, this mark of her, her pride as being violence, that God would work in them to shame them related to their, their conduct here. And then in verse 11, uh, he said, uh, the, uh, uh, Obadiah said, in the day that you stood uh, on the other side, uh, and the day that strangers carried captive his forces, speaking of Israel, the Babylonians conquered them, and there is uh, Edom on the other side of the border, watching it from their side. When the foreigners entered the gates uh, of Jerusalem, the gates of the cities of of Israel and cast lots for uh, when the enemies cast lot Babylon cast lots for Jerusalem even you were as one of them and so here you have Edom piling on when uh, Jerusalem and the Jewish people were vulnerable uh, due to their defeat at the hands of, of the Babylonians. And so God's judgment had come upon uh, Jacob. They absolutely deserved and needed uh, that judgment. And as a result, it was a time when uh, the, uh, Israel was down and out. They were vulnerable to this kind of, uh, uh, of treatment by uh, the Edomites. And the Edomites took that moment to, to pile on on top of Israel, to come against them, this long, bitter kind of hostility between the two nations. They saw an opportunity to jump in now and uh, get their pound of flesh with the Babylonians. And uh, God noticed it, and, and it displeased God. And oftentimes, when someone gets humbled and disciplined by God, uh, especially someone who has done us wrong in the past or we've had hostilities with in the past, that person, as a result of God's discipline, they're left vulnerable not only to God as a result of His chastening, but they're left vulnerable to us as a result. And there can be a great temptation now to jump in on top of God's judgment and His chastening upon that person or upon these people. Again, especially if there's a long history of strain within the, the relationship. And if we pile on at that time, God will take note of it and He will chasten us uh, even worse. A father is free to discipline his children. Uh, but woe to uh, the man who decides to discipline another father's children, especially when that father happens to be God. 
And when it is God's judgment or His chastening that puts a person in a low spot of vulnerability and then someone decides that this is not just about them and God, but that this is an opportunity for them to jump in and take advantage uh, of, of the situation. And it's a good word to us, I think, in our relationships with one another as, as Christians. We're united by a greater uh, blood the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood that even united uh, the Edomites and, and united uh, the Jews. And so they should have helped Judah when Judah was down. They should have at least remained neutral, uh, and, uh, but they never should have done this. We have the old saying, you don't kick a man while he's down. And that's exactly what they did. And it's a mark of pride. And I have to be careful to mind my own business when there's, a, there's a hostility or there's been difficulty with another person, somebody gets left vulnerable, that I don't jump in and, uh, and take advantage uh, of, of that situation in that vulnerability. They've been placed in that vulnerability, uh, uh, not for me to take advantage uh, of it. And then he goes on, another mark of pride in verse 12, is rejoicing over God's discipline uh, of another nation or of another people, uh, person. But you uh, should have uh, not have gazed on the day uh, of your brother. And uh, again, the, the family relationship between Edom and, and, the, and Israel. In the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly um, in the day of distress. And so another mark of pride is when we rejoice over God's disciplining of another person. And they gloated over Jacob's fall. They gloated over Jacob's uh, captivity. And uh, the psalmist in Psalm 137 gives us some insight into that uh, that, that gloating, One, Psalm 137, 7, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, that is, level it, level it to its very foundation. And that kind of rejoicing is always a mark uh, of pride. Psalm 20, uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 24, verse 17, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, and it displeases him, and he turn away his wrath from him. So if you really want God to continue to uh, hammer him, then you don't gloat. But that's not what the, the proverb is saying. Oh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because the longer I do, God's going to just, you know, knock the living daylights out of them. But, uh, but uh, the proverbs speak of the fact that God will uh, take off of his judgment, off of who he's judging, and then he will, or chastening, and then he will begin to, he'll cease that and then begin to uh, chasten, uh, chasten us. And uh, uh, that's uh, n never any fun. And it, it, it speaks to how uh, serious God views this kind of thing. The next mark of their pride was looting. Uh, again, taking advantage of, of the distress to enrich themselves by looting Jerusalem and the, and the nation. You should not have entered the gate of my people. 
in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have uh, gazed on their uh, affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands uh, on their substance. And so, as soon as the Babylonians had conquered uh, uh, Israel, they went in to then join in all of the looting of Israel uh, there in the land. Of course, we see this kind of shameful activity uh, in the streets of our own nation so often this last uh, summer seeing it and, uh, and people just doing it without any shame, uh, shame at all. And, uh, and just with the realization that who can stop us? There's so many of us. But God sees it. And He views it as a, 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 a tremendous uh, 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 exhibition of pride and arrogance and entitlement. And, uh, and, and so we're never to take advantage of others materially when they are down anytime, and especially when they're down because of God is doing a work in their life. Where we go to them and say, man, I got his car for next to nothing. I mean, he's desperate. You ought to get over there and get that guitar before that's gone. And that, that kind of thing that can... Uh, on a, a, a little less obvious means of, of looting people and taking advantage of the situation. And then he moves on to just uh, the uh, out-and-out uh, cruelty uh, and, uh, as a, a mark of pride. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those uh, among those who remained in the day of distress. And so what the Edomites did is that when the, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, of course, the Jewish people began to flee in all direction into the surrounding nations, including toward Edom. And Edom set up uh, guards on their border, and they captured the, uh, the, the Jews were, that were escaping, and then they brought them back to the Babylonians. And God looked at that, and uh, as Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them to do unto me, uh, unto you. That's a position of humility. This was a terrible, terrible, I mean, just an indescribable hardness of heart. You're sending them back to their destruction. And yet they did it, and it was a mark of pride, such a hard, hard heart. And I, when I read about this, I think about those one or two, three, three ships um, that escaped uh, uh, Europe during Nazi uh, Germany, the reign of the Nazis in Germany there, and the Jews on these ships, and they, they go to New York, they go to Florida, they go to uh, Britain, they go to Cuba, they go to anywhere that they can that someone will let these Jews out. And uh, the one, I forget the name of the one boat, but no one would take them in. Uh, and they're, they're weeping on uh, the decks of the ship as they're sent back to Europe to then die in the Nazi uh, Holocaust. And the hardness of heart and the pride uh, that, that is involved in, in that, that kind of thing, zero mercy, inability to put myself in another person's uh, shoes at all, and these marks of pride uh, God condemns in them. And they're good things to uh, keep note of in our own lives uh, because they'll always cause us to 
then be on the wrong side of God. And they're all tendencies that we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. So they're all tendencies each of us are, are born with to some degree or another. And then in verse uh, 15, uh, God speaks of His judgment upon all of Israel's uh, enemies. Not just Edom, but all of her uh, enemies. For the day of the Lord uh, upon all the nations is near. Uh, and so here we're not just talking about Edom, we're talking about all of the nations. So here you have a near fulfillment of the judgment of this prophecy, of the judgment that God would bring upon the Edomites by way of the Babylonians. But it also speaks of a far uh, judgment in the day of the Lord that will come upon all of the Gentile nations of the world following Jesus' second coming based upon how those nations treated the Jewish people historically. And, uh, and uh, as Jesus taught, as He concluded His Olivet Discourse there in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, and then He shall sit on the throne of His glory, all of the nations will be gathered before Him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And, and uh, when did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Uh, or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these, the least of my brethren, the Jewish people, Jesus speaking, you did it to me. And then he speaks to the goats that are on his left hand, the uh, Gentile nations who were uh, persecuted the Jews through history in their vulnerability and the persecution that came upon the Jews. And they uh, do not enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom. Uh, they are taken and, and uh, thrown into uh, everlasting punishment. It is interesting to realize that the nations of the world will one day be judged upon their treatment of the nation of Israel. And, uh, and, and the nation of Israel is not perfect. There's no group of people who are uh, perfect. But God still has a plan for them. And He, and he loves them. And the Jews have been by far the most persecuted people in the history of mankind. And you look at how many times what is described here at the hands of the Edomites has happened to the Jews through many peoples, through many nations who, would, who have done the same thing to Him. And God says, I'll remember it and I'll hold you accountable for it uh, one uh, day. It is a folly to be engaged in in being anti-Semitic in any way uh, toward the Jews. It's okay 
to, to recognize when they make mistakes. Uh, it may uh, shock you, but there is uh, actually a Jewish kind of mafia uh, that exists in the land of Israel. And uh, as rough and tumble as any Russian or Ukrainian mafia, not every Jewish person is a saint by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but, but here, God has a plan for them. And historically, they've been horribly abused in this way. And uh, ultimately, uh, they, uh, the nations will be judged. And notice, it will be a just judgment. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Again, humility is to do unto others what I would have them do unto me. What you did to them, I'm going to do to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. It'll be, uh, you're going to reap fully what, what you have sown here. Uh, for as you drank on my holy mountain, uh, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, speaking of the judgment that God uh, would ultimately bring upon them. And they shall be as though they never had been. In other words, this this uh, chastening of God, this judgment of God upon the Edomites will uh, produce uh, the end of their existence as a people. And all of it has, has happened historically exactly as God declared through uh, Obadiah. And then in verse 17, in the home stretch of things here, uh, the restoration of Israel, the extinction of Edom, uh, is declared here, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. The judgment that will come upon Edom, God says, I've chastened my people, I have disciplined uh, my people, but I am not through with my people. And, and it doesn't mean that Jews don't need to be saved just like everybody else in the world. But, but God has a, a plan that He is working uh, through the church in human history. He has a plan that involves the seven-year tribulation period uh, supremely and is dealing with the Jews. That's why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. He's not done with the Jews. And there is a great blessing that will uh, follow that tribulation period for the Jews. Uh, so many who will put their faith in Christ during the tribulation period. But on Mount Zion there shall uh, be deliverance. And so in the future restoration uh, of, of Israel, uh, she will be delivered from her enemies and there shall be holiness. Uh, the, the, they will be marked by uh, holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, speaking of the land that was promised to them, the land of Israel as it was promised to, uh, to them uh, through their patriarch uh, uh, Abraham. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they, uh, they shall kindle them and devour them, and no survival shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So let's say you're going to go into battle against somebody, and here you are, a great nation of chaff. And you're heading out to the battlefield. Beat them, bust them, that's our custom. Goo. And then your enemy comes, and what is your enemy? A fire. And what do you go? Uh-oh. 
we're in trouble. And you can't win that battle. And uh, that's what God uh, says he, he was going to make the nation of Israel, Edom, cease to exist. And, and Israel exists today, and Israel will exist on into the kingdom uh, age. The south shall possess uh, the mountains of Esau, talking about in the kingdom age, the thousand-year reign uh, of Christ. Uh, so this is yet future again, the day of the Lord being spoken of in, in verse 15. Uh, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau in the kingdom age. The borders of Israel will then encompass uh, the land of the Edomites and, and other enemies of Israel uh, uh, prior to the kingdom age and the land that is stolen from them uh, during the great tribulation by the Antichrist. And the lowlands shall uh, possess Philistia, uh, the Philistines, they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in uh, Sephard uh, shall possess the cities of the south. Then Savior shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall uh, be the Lord's. And so the possession of great, great area of land, the land of her enemies ultimately one day in, in the kingdom age. And what, Ju what, what Edom uh, failed to understand uh, is that when God chastens His people and He chastens all of His people, when He chastens us as Christians, it is never for our destruction, but it is always to bring us to repentance and then to bring us into restoration. In other words, when we see a brother or a sister, that maybe there's some bad blood between us and them, and we see, boy, they had that coming, and, uh, and then we use it as an opportunity to say, I always knew God would do that to you, and you had it. And we jump in like uh, that, that kind of a thing. Uh, we, we jump into a situation in just a moment in time. It, it's not the end of the progression of what God is doing in that person's life. It's just a part of the progression. And God, has a, that life is going to have a very, very long story to it. And, it, and that life is going to be chastened. It's going to turn, turn back to God. They're going to become an entirely different person. And one day they may be on top and we're on the bottom. So we're careful about our pride in times where God brings chastening into another Christian's life, even chastening that we may recognize far in advance is necessary because of the pride that is in their life, and vice versa related to us as well. God looks at a very, very long timeline in His dealings with His people. When somebody goes so low and you look at them, and here they are, they're a Christian, they go so low and we think, they will never recover from this. I can do whatever I want to them. They'll never be on top again. And then God has a funny way of putting them on top again and then doing something even more interesting. 
at some point then, making us dependent upon their grace in some circumstance in our life in the future. To humble us then, and to bring restoration to the relationship. So, beautiful, beautiful book that, that speaks to us about what can be the causes of pride in our lives and, uh, and uh, what uh, pride can look like in our lives and the danger that it represents in our lives and the importance of not jumping in uh, on our own and uh, trying to use God's chasing another person's life to, to my own advantage. It also speaks, and it's not the only uh, a book in, in the Old Testament that speaks to this, the warning about taking care of ancient hatreds or ancient bitterness. And here was this bad blood that the Edomites felt toward the children of Israel. And they, instead of being done with it, giving it to God, not being defiled by it, they held on to it, they held on to it, they held on to it, and they held on to it. And the problem with holding on to bitterness in our life is that very often God then steps in and then brings chastening into the situation and I will then be massively tempted to jump in and add my own two cents to the whole thing and end up on the wrong side of God. I will always, uh, it's a mark of pride, and I will always overstep what I should do in that situation, and then now God has to deal with me. And so the Bible says, God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. You and I, vengeance is not safe in our hands. Vengeance for a wrong that has been done to us is only safe in God's hands. We will mess it up if we hold on to it in our own hearts, the desire for it, because we will always overreach when the opportunity is given uh, to us to take that vengeance. And so to look at our own hearts. Uh, is there anybody in our lives that we have this level of bitterness, this level of history with another person, and to realize one day something may happen, and you think you have it under control, I think I have it under control right now in my life, but in that moment, it'll jump out of your mouth like a green frog, and you'll be in real trouble uh, then is, is a result of that. And so to allow that kind of thing to be uh, removed from our lives as we see really the kind of catastrophic end that came to the Edomites who uh, chose not to deal with these kind of attitudes toward the children of Israel and operating uh, under that kind of pride. So I'll ask the worship team to come forward now and uh, lead us in a couple of worship songs and some time to meditate upon all of this and just to praise the Lord this evening uh, before we pray and then close. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for tonight and to be able to kind of end the week and begin a week by worshiping you and, and by partaking of your word. Thank you for your living word and 
in all of its diversity and all of the important things it accomplishes within our lives. We look forward to the week that lies out ahead of us in your will and we pray that you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would give us the love and the wisdom and the power that we will need in the coming week, that we would enjoy our relationship with you and that what people see in us would bring a longing in their lives for what we have with you and what we know of you. And so we pray you use this coming week to glorify yourself through us. We look forward to all that you have planned for each of us. And we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you close us?